0: Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach, thank you for coming. Tonight, it's the special night of Lel Hoshan Araba. We did Sefer Dvarim, we read Tehillim. Uh, the night is too short to finish the Zohar, but uh, if you start at 9 o'clock, then you have time also to finish the Zohar. But better something than nothing, we do most of it. Rubo it says, there's a, there's a rule. If you do most of it, it counts like you did everything, if you try to do everything. Also, we'll give now a drashah to explain the importance of Oshana Rabbah, uh, which seems to be that many people don't understand the importance of this night. And uh, I even saw some people today in Shachari that I asked them if they stay up for the night, and they are from from birth, which means they're religious from birth, from a very important family, very famous family. And the, the son that I spoke to didn't even know that there is the concept of staying up all night and learning. This is, this is how the ignorance, when it comes to this, and this is how far it can go. So let's uh, clarify some of the things. First, we have to understand that one of the reasons that not everyone is aware of it is because the Kabbalah, even though it was written in the time of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, 2,000 years ago, was not published in the world until a few hundred years ago. It was only published a few hundred years ago, just in the time of Ariyah Kadosh and a little bit before, and it started to spread, and today almost everybody in the world heard about it, but in those days, only very few individuals, like, for instance, the Ramban, which lived 750 years ago, he was a Kabbalist. How was he a Kabbalist? This is 250 years before the Ari, because some people had the Kabbalah. The Rambam, which is the most famous posek in Judaism, didn't have the Kabbalah, didn't have the Zohar. Many of the important poskim, like in some of the geonim, they didn't have it. In Europe, may, most of them didn't have it. In the Arab countries, more people had it. The Ari, even though it was originally an Ashkenazi from Bert, that's why his name is Ashkenazi, many of the people with their last name is Ashkenazi, they're actually Sephardi. And the reason is because this, when they came to the Sephardi countries, to the Arab countries, such as Egypt, Syria, Iraq, they, the Sephardi community named them Based, they gave them a title, the Ashkenazi, which means they came from Ashkenaz. And later they became Sephardic, because after a few generations, they got used to already to the accent of the place. They started to speak Arabic, and you couldn't tell. That's why some of the Syrians, as you can see, they come from an Arab country, but they have blue eyes, blonde hair, also in Morocco because there's a mixture of many Europeans who went to the Middle East and Middle Easterns who went to the European country, such as France, Italy. That's the mixture. But uh, the Ari Kadosh was originally Ashkenazi, but he went to Egypt when he was a kid, and his uncle raised him in Egypt. And obviously, over there, many of the Chachamim had the idea about Kabbalah, and then later he came to Tzfat, and he published the Kabbalah. Basically, before the Ari came to the world, we didn't know 99% of what we know today about Kabbalah, which means if the Ari would not be born to the world, chas v'shalom, perhaps today nobody would still know. Maybe few individuals would know about it a little bit. And nobody shh, nobody would basically have an idea what it is. So most of the knowledge we have about Oshana Rabbah comes from the Kabbalah. We should know that. And according to the Chachamim, it's Yom Chitum Adin HaSofi. The final, the final signing of the fortune of the Jew for the rest of the year. It's actually been done as we speak. Shh. It's finally been done as we speak. And it's called, it's very interesting, because if we realize, we have like three different judgments. We have Rosh Hashanah, Then we have Yom Kippur, which is Hatima, that's why we say Ketiva Tova in Rosh Hashanah, should be written in a book of life. And then we wish each other you should be signed in a book of life. And now again, Hatima Tova, again you should sign. But we already said you should be signed. But we're repeating it again. You should be sealed, sealed completely in a book of life. It's very similar to the three steps, the three judgments of the soul, of the person, one is being done in this world annually. Every year there's the judgment day, what we call Rosh Hashanah. Then when a person died, he has the final conclusion of his life, which is the entire judgment for his entire life. Every year we are judged for the previous year, which we just finished, 365 previous days, Hashem reviews everything, give us, give us a mark, and based on that, He decides how the next year is going to look for us, for our country, for our nation, for the world, for the Gentiles, for the animals, for everything that lives in, and, and survives in this creation. This is annual judgment, once a year. Then we have the final judgment, a person lives the world 70, 80, 90 years, his entire life is being judged, And and Hashem decides where to send him. Send him to heaven. Chaz v'Shalom sends him to hell, to Gehenom. Where in hell? There's seven different places. Start from the bottom and going all the way to the bottom. The lower it is, the worse it is. Which is a dry clean for the soul. Sometimes a person doesn't even get the merit to go there. He has to be reincarnated in different ways. Either he's been reincarnated as a normal person with free choice to start his test all over again. Sometimes he's been reincarnated as an autistic person with no free choice, which means it's pure correction for his soul, usually he's mute and deaf, and this is usually because of sins that have been done with the ears and the mouth, such as lashonara, gossip, laughing about people, hurting people with his mouth, Enjoying gossip, etc. So usually it's measure for measure. Sometimes it's been reincarnated as animal animals, sometimes as raw material, sometimes as some trees, fruits, things that grows. And we can see that there's different kinds of reincarnations. And sometimes what's happening is that a person go to the worst place you can think of, it's called Kafakela. I don't even want to describe what's happening there, but we have to do everything we can not to be there one moment. And uh, if you want to know a little bit more about it, we'll speak about it not today. Today it's Yom Tov. I don't want to depress anyone. But we should know that everyone is responsible for everything he does. No one gets away with one tiny scene that he made. One tiny word of Lashonara, one little, uh, you know, the smallest sin you can think of, unless if he made pure, complete tshuva, repentance, for that particular sin, this sin is still pending. So this is the final judgment of the life of the person. So that's like Yom Kippur. So we have Rosh Hashanah, it's every year, then Yom Kippur. It's like the final years. This is the second step in a judgment of a person. And then we have what we call Yom Hadin Hagadol veAnora, The final, complete, final judgment. When a person is judged, how his eternity is eternity going to look? That's what we call Olam aneshamot, the worlds of the souls. Over there. Unlike the, the first two judgments, when we say a Kaddish for a person who passed away, then every year, even though he passed away, Rosh Hashanah, Hashem is judging him for what he left in the world, who was his children, how much donations he gave, how many people he made religious, how many people he destroyed uh, spiritually. He has to pay for everything he did or to receive reward for everything he gained. The Kaddish that his children or his students are saying for him, helping him obviously a lot, also after he died, which means he's now been judged to go to heaven or V'Shalom to hell or to wherever he is, the Kaddish helps him. But the Kaddish, there's no more Kaddish. Once it's going to be the final judgment, there's not going to be anybody left here. This final Olam Abba is the world of eternity that we are speaking and hearing about so many times. This is when this physical world will not be exist anymore. There will not be anyone here remain to say Kaddish for you. Nobody will stay here. It's going to be the world of pure souls with no physic, no materials. And this is forever and ever. This is depend on all the reincarnations of a person in different bodies, everything combined, from the beginning to the end, and Hashem is sending him to the place where he deserved to be, and that's it. From there on, there's no more going up, no more going down. No more free choice, nobody can help you. Everything is finalized, and it's over. Same thing, so we have now Oshan Rabbah, it's similar to this final judgment that I was just speaking about. We have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah We have the annual judgment, the, the judgment in the end of the life, and the eternal judgment of the person. Three different judgments over here. Three different judgments in the afterlife of the person. Now, <clears throat> the word Rosh Hashanah Rabbah Literally, what does it mean? Oshia, when we say Ana Hashem Oshia Na, Oshia means send us salvation, save us, savory. Osha Na, it's interesting, is save us, please. Please save us. In modern Hebrew, please save us. But there is a secret in the world. If you break this world to what it is really, Osha Na, O'Sha means save, Nap means please. The Na, noon, in numeric value is 50, Aleph is 1. It's Gematria, numeric value, 51. What's special about 51? From Rosh Chodesh Elul, when Hashem opened the gate of repentance, and we count 51 days, the 51st day from Rosh Chodesh Elul is the night of Oshan Rabbah. It's right now. That's why the secret here, O'Sha Na, Na means 51. Then there's another secret about this O'Sha Na Raba. It's the 26th day from the day of the creation of the world. As the Gemara taught us in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, the world was created in Chavhei Be'elul, the 25th day of Elul. You take five days to the end of Elul, and plus 21 more days in the month of Tishrei, which is today, Chav Aleph, it comes to 26 numeric value, Yud, hei, Vav and He, the name of God. Why? To symbolize that the world, now the person has an opportunity, finally, to make a complete correction for his entire year. Of course, without Hashem it cannot be done, so this is the secret why, why it falls exactly on the 26 days of the creation of the world. In the time of Bet HaMikdash, when Bet HaMikdash was uh, in existence, they used to have the altar, what, what we call in a section of Bet HaMikdash that's called the Azara. Just when you enter, there's a big place, it's called Azara. There's an altar over there. And they used to bring arava, Aravot. We have arbat aminim, the four different kinds of things that we use in Sukkot, which now we still in Sukkot right now. Arava, if technically comparing it to the other three, is basically the worst one, because we have lulav. Lulav has it comes from the date tree, for you know, so it has taste but doesn't have smell. The etrog has beautiful smell and also taste, so it has it's perfect, which is also like the heart of the person, and the lulav it's like the spine. And the Adasim is like the eyes, it's the shape of the eyes. And it has fantastic smell, but no taste. And the Arava is nothing. No smell and no taste. And those four different kinds that Hashem told us to put together, also teaching us about four kinds of Jews that exist in this world. One is a Talmid Chacham, that is a great scholar in Torah. He knows the Torah, and he also has great manners, great behaving, great midot, great personality, great traits. Everything about him is good. Of course, everyone makes sins here and there, but overall is a person in very high level in Torah and in behaving. Then we have the Hadassim, that has great smell, which means... Everyone loves it, which means they have great midot, but doesn't have taste, no Torah. Taste means tam, tam means reasons in Hebrew. Tam means taste, and it also means secrets, the reasons. These tam, these dates are great taste, it's delicious, but no smell, which means this person has a lot of Torah, but his behaving is not so great. He may do chilulah is not so great between uh, him and other people. So this is a person that uh, is similar to the Lulaf to the dates, has Torah, but has no derech eretz, no behaving. But Hadas is the opposite. He has great behaving, but no Torah. He's busy with his businesses. He has no time to come to learn. The little that he knows, he heard a little bit on tapes here and there, that's just about it. But he has fun great behaving, sometimes better than the rabbis. He behaves great, but Torah he doesn't have. And then the Arava is a person who has nothing. No Torah, no derech eretz. On top of everything, this is the main thing on Oshan Araba. Today, after Shachrit, Shachrit is one of the longest prayers in the year, because we have Sheva HaKafot. I'm going to explain why it's seven. In the end, we take the five Aravot, which is mansapach the ending letters of the Hebrew, which is the secrets according to Kabbalah. We have 22 letters and five extra. Those five, this is mean This is from the time of the Prophets 2,500 years ago. And we bang it on the a, on a ground, not on the floor, on actual land. We have to have sand or something, or grass. We, let, we bang it down. And what's the secret of this, this Arava? Because Arava, it's similar to the lips of the person. The Adasim is the eyes. The sin that we make with our eyes, the spine, the spine is the foundation of the body. If the spine doesn't work, the entire body cannot work, cannot do anything. The etrog is the heart, the evil inclination and control over your behaving. And what comes out of the mouth, the life and death is depend on what comes out of your mouth. Torah or gossip. Good things, bad things. Whatever comes out of your mouth determines everything about your judgment. That's why it falls on the final step of the judgment because in the end it's all above everything. It's what comes out of the mouth of a person. Chaim ve'amavet be'yad al Lashon. <laughs> now, they used to go... There was a place under Yerushalayim, under Jerusalem. is name Moza. Even today, you have this place. I'm not sure it's exactly the same place like in the time of Bet Mikdash, but the, the, the Gemara explained that there was a place down under Yerushalayim, and there was like water there, valley, and they used to come there. And the arava usually grow by the water, grows by the water, and they used to go down there and get bunches of aravot and bring it and make it stand, huge one, not small ones like we have, big ones. They make it stand on the sides of the altar of Bet HaMikdash, the Mizbeach. How tall it was? 11 amot, five and a half meter. Five and a half meter, about 17 and a half feet. Think about it, very, very tall. They used to make it stand around the Mizbeach. And every day, from the days of Sukkot, they make one circle around the altar, and everyone screams Ana Hashem Oshiana twice, Ana Hashem Atzlichana. That's why now we do the same thing. We don't have the Bet HaMikdash, we don't have the altar, but we have, we have the Hallel that we say. We say in Hallel, Az Yeranenu Atzei Ayar Milifne Hashem. And that day, what does it mean in that day, when Bet Mikdash will be built? The trees will praise Hashem. Right? What is the trees? We're holding it. We're holding the lulav. And we say, And it's, it's very interesting. Now, if one of the four becomes dry, the lulav is dry, it's pasul, it's not kosher. If the etrog became completely dry from here ago, you he cannot use it. It became very dry. The, the, the ones that become dry very fast is harava. two or three days without putting it in water, it becomes black. Harava, once it becomes completely dry, which means when you touch it, it becomes like powder. It's, that's how dry it is. It's not kosher. It's not kosher. You need to replace it. So this is the, this is the reason that it's not kosher. Why do I care? If it comes to symbolize, the four different kinds of Jews gather together, one helps the other. This is the secret of the holiday of Sukkot. Why do I care if it's dry or not? The idea is that people get the point, no? The answer is that we have a verse, Lohametim Ya Alleluia. The dead cannot praise you, Hashem. Only the living. And dry, it's dead. That's it. It doesn't have life anymore. As long as it has you know, it's fresh, it means it's alive. Once it became dry, it becomes powder. When you, when you press on it, then that means it's dead. So we cannot use the dead. So now, after they bring the Aravot, they make the circles, every day one. In Oshana HaRabah, seven. The same way they did seven in Oshan-Araba for more than 2,000 years. This is what we do every night, all over the world. One for one, as they did it then. In the time of the Geonim, which is a a little bit more than a thousand years ago, Ravai Gaon, Rav Amram Gaon, Rav Natronai Gaon, there's many Geonim. This is even before Rashi. Rashi is already the time of the Rishonim. Rambam, Ramban, Ran, Tosfot, all of them is Rishonim. This is the time of the Geonim. It's before even, right? When there's no Bet HaMikdash, obviously, then, because Bet HaMikdash is destroyed already for two thousand years so they used to circle the mountain of the olives. Har Hazetim. The mountain of the olives seven times. It's a big circle, not like here, two, two seconds you finish the circle. Over there in the heat of Israel, wah, it's gonna it's a very serious mission. Just like joining the army. You have to go around the entire mountain. Why the mountain of the olives? What's special over there? Because we know that the steps, the first steps the Mashiach will make when the world will find out that the Mashiach arrived is from this mountain, as the Prophet say, that this mountain will be broken to two. It's going to be an earthquake. And this mountain will split. One part will shift to the right, and one part will shift to the left, and just the whole world will have their eyes on this mountain, and the Mashiach will go down the mountain towards the Moriah Mountain. This is where the Western Wall is. And at that moment, all the Arabs that are there right now will run for their life. Because they will realize that the, the end of this lie of what we call today Islam and all this Ishmael, it's ending. Because the correction of the world begins. And it's not only the Arabs. All the Erev Rav, all the fake Jews who came out of Egypt and really never wanted to accept the Torah. They just came out because they saw the miracles. This is what the Gemara say, Erev Rav, and the Zohar say. They come and they go and fight against the Mashiach. But in a few seconds, he begins to talk and all of them burn the life. None of them were left. And then the salvation really begins. The Arabs... Because they know in the day, according to their tradition, remember the first Arab 1400 years ago when Islam just started, they knew more Torah than what the rabbis know today. And they knew that according to Judaism, when Mashiach comes, he is going to come down from the Ma'aliv Mountains into the Moriah Mountains and they wanted to build the mosque right where Bet Mikdash is. It's no coincidence that from all over the world they chose that mountain, because they saw that this is the most important place on earth. So they, so they circled the entire mountain of the Alif, Zahar team in a cemetery. Why? Because they know that according to the Torah, when a person walks through a cemetery, automatically he became impure. And someone who is impure cannot receive a prophecy. And there's no way for the Mashiach to be pure, because as soon as he's going to make his first steps, he's going to walk in between graves. Two things the Arabs didn't know. That Mashiach is not a Kohen. It's good for Kohen. Kohen goes next to a grave or touch a dead body, or someone died in a room. Then the Kohen becomes Tameh, and he needs the ashes of the red cow. That's true. But Mashiach is different is not a regular Kohen, and he's a direct messenger of Hashem, that Hashem, God, gives him divine powers, and from that moment on, he does everything as Hashem instructs him to clean this world from all the spiritual garbage that accumulate here for the last 2,000 years. That's one thing they didn't know. Second thing is, even if Mashiach would be like a Kohen that can become impure, uh, he wouldn't become impure from, a, from graves of Goyim, because only graves of Jews make the Mashiach if he walks in between Tameh. But if he walks in between graves of Muhammad and Ahmed and Mustafa, that's not exactly going to affect him in any way. So one way or the other is not going to help them. So we continue. Uh, so what is the reason why they did in Bet HaMikdash circling the altar seven times in Oshana Rabbah? We're doing it today as what they used to do in Bet HaMikdash. But how did it start to begin with that all of a sudden they decided that in Hoshan HaRabba they have to go around the altar in Bet HaMikdash seven times? What's the secret? The answer is because this is how Yoshua bin Nun occupied Jericho. When they came to this place, Jericho, they went around the walls of Jericho were very thick. It would take years to break them with a massive war, and there would be thousands of casualties. But when Hashem is with us, we don't need this special Israeli army with the best air force. We don't need it. We only need that Hashem would be in a good relationship with us at that given moment, And everything has been done for us, one, two, three, piece of cake. And at that moment, Hashem was very, very close to us, with the time of Yoshua ben Nun. And he instructed him to go around Jericho seven times and blow the shofars. And that's what they did. They went seven times around and they blew the shofars. And of course, they made all the prayers. And the walls of Jericho collapsed and became like sand. It was swallowed by the ground. That's how bad it was. And since it was Shabbat, it was on Shabbat. Now on Shabbat, and that time, it's before Hazal said the decree that you're not allowed to blow the shofar. It was permitted. Why are you not allowed to blow the shofar? We know. Rosh Hashanah, if it falls on, you know, on Shabbos, we don't do it. Maybe the Baal Tokeh will forget to bring the shofar or if the shofar cracked and he was going to try to fix it on Shabbat, or he's going to run to bring it from his home and carry it in a public area, he is going to violate Shabbat. And because a Jew maybe one day will violate Shabbat, it's worth it for us to cancel this important mitzvah of shofar, just that no Jew will ever be mechalel Shabbat. I always say... If the Chachamim would wake up for one minute today and see what became out of their nation, they'll pull their hair off. They were doing everything they can that maybe by mistake a Jew will not be violating Shabbat. Never. And imagine if they see what's happening in our days. They couldn't believe that something like this can happen. But this is the importance of it. But this is Yoshua. This is about 1,000 years before this decree. And they blew the shofar. Anyway, it's a war. It's Hashem instructed. And Jericho, the walls collapse. And this is the reason. Now, why they had to do seven? As you know, seven is a very special number in Judaism. Everything goes around that number. It's all seven. Why seven? The Maharal explained the secret of seven is that this physical world, the material world, has six dimensions, south, north, west, east, up, and down. That's it. Seven symbolize going into the spiritual world. We are not; we no more physical species. We are now above, above nature. The nation of Israel, the Torah say, Israel, above nature. The laws of nature, even though they apply to every human being, but when the Jew does it exactly as is instructed by Hashem, he gets the power to be above the law of nature when it comes to his living, his health, his marriage, and many other things. He can, he can overcome the laws of nature by being a righteous person. And also, the seven, you go seven times around it, and in a seven time, this physical massive worlds lose all the power, because we're not talking now physics against physics. We are now in a new dimension, which is the spiritual world. And the spiritual world is full of miracles. It's not David and Goliath anymore. Now this is a complete divine miracle, and this is why seven, it could have been 17, it could have been five, it could be a thousand. Seven to teach us the secret of the spirituality when a person goes above the law of nature. Then, Yeshua, because he was on Shabbat, he made a decree that no one is allowed to touch all the wealth, the money, the jewelry of the people of Jericho. Why? Because a Jew is not allowed to enjoy anything that he gained on Shabbat. That's why we're not allowed to open our businesses. Even if the goi works, if the business opens, open, the Jew cannot enjoy the money. You understand? And not like some Jew thing. Oh, I open on Shabbat, and I give all the money to donation. It doesn't count to you donation. Money that you stole from Ruven, and you want to give it to the yeshiva, it's not your tzedakah. Money that you gain in an illegal way against Hashem, and now you want to make it legal by giving it to someone, of course, it's much better than, than using it for yourself, enjoying your sin, and using the money for your own benefits, so it's much better giving it to others, but don't fool yourself. There's no permission for a Jew to enjoy profits that he makes on Shabbat unless if the profit is made by itself, such as he has a vending machine in a place that there's no Jews, and they go in and buy sodas there by putting dollars in. This, the Jew doesn't do anything. This is automatically, they go in use it for their own benefits, and accidentally he's enjoying from it. Once he has a business open and everyone sees the Jew is open on Shabbat, even though Ahmed is working, he's not going to the business. It's not the same. But let's move on. So, uh, Yahshua made two decrees no one is allowed to enjoy from what we just got, no one. And the second decree is no one is allowed to rebuild Jericho ever. And he, he made a curse, and the curse of someone that inherited the place of Moshe, Moshe Rabenu. We are not talking uh, some baba from uh, who knows where. We are talking a very important person. And for hundreds of years, nobody dared to try to rebuild Jericho. But the generation of Achav, which was one of the worst wicked kings we ever had, in his generation, there were many wicked people who rebel anyway against Hashem. So obviously, they don't care about Joshua. They don't care about Hashem. It's needless to say. So one of them built it, and all his children died. Because Joshua made the curse that the one who will dare to build Jericho will pay the price with his own children. And this is exactly what happened. One after the other were dying. This is the power of the word of the Chacham. Why do we read Tehilim and the night of Oshan rabbah We could have done many other things. We read Sefer Dvarim, Deuteronomy, the entire Deuteronomy. Why we don't read the entire Torah? Because there's not enough time. Really, technically, we should have read the entire Torah. Well, there's no time. So we only read the conclusion of the Torah. Deuteronomy, Dvarim, it's a conclusion of the Torah. It repeats basically all the subjects of the Torah in one book. All four books really in different versions appear in the in the fifth book. Why we read Tehillim? What's the secret of Tehilim? The secret of Tehilim, also we read Tehilim in Shavuot. Why in Shavuot? Shavuot is the birth of King David and his side as well. But why in Oshana Rabbah? If it's not his birth on Oshana Rabbah and it's not his your side, it's not his memorial, what is it? The answer is is the night that King David is the Ushpizin in our sukkah. We have seven Ushpizin: Abraham, Isaac, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, Yosef and David. The one tonight is David HaMelech, as courtesy for him being our visitor in every sukkah of every Jew in the world. So we read the Book of Tehillim, which by the way is the best thing for someone who wants to make repentance. Because the entire Tehilim is begging Hashem, praising Hashem. Nothing can help you more than this. So this is the reason why we read Tehilim. Now, in the Zohar, it says that the Kadmonim, which means prior to 2,000 years ago, in the night of Oshan Rabbah, after all the slichot and whatever they did, they used to go out to the street and look at the moon and look at the shadow of their body on the floor in the light of the moon. And they were able to tell if they're going to make it this year or they're going to die. We don't have this ability, obviously. How did they know? If the head is missing from the image on the floor, that means I'm not going to finish the year. If the fingers are missing, that means children can die. Different parts of the body, different kinds of tragedies. Today, we don't have this knowledge. And all we have to do is to, best, to hope for the best, that Hashem will accept our prayers. And more than that, there's nothing we can do. Now, I know many people go to the mikveh before the prayer in the morning, they, they, about half an hour before the NETS begins, the Vatican prayers. They run to the mikveh because they want to pray in this important Roshana Hashanah prayer when they're pure. But the truth is, it's a mistake. If they wanted to do it, they should have done it before the Tikkun start. Because learning Torah is higher than praying. And learning all night is even higher level than learning during the day. The Zohar say everyone who learns at night, Chut shel chesed mashuch alav. There is a spiritual line of kindness directly from God to his head. Why? Because at night, the level of learning is much higher. Don't get the wrong impression if you are an employee of someone or you work for a company and you don't own your own business, which means someone's paying you the salary. Doesn't matter. It can be a very wealthy man, but you're still working for someone. You don't have permission to learn at night because you have to be fresh during the day. Too. You're receiving money. You cannot be a thief. If you come and fall asleep during the work or you work only 80% of your ability, you are basically losing more than you gaining. You come to learn Torah and then you are actually violating one of the rules of the Torah you should not steal. But we are talking someone who can afford. Either he doesn't work in between jobs or is in yeshiva. If he can learn at night and, and rest during the day, it's a higher level. Let's move on. So it's better to go to the mikveh before the actual tikkun start, what we call around 11 at night or 11.30, before you come to the shul, then after, when you do it. If you didn't do it, you'll know about it next year. The Gemara says there are three partners in the creation of Adam. Hashem, his father, and his mother. The Gemara brings a list of the things that Hashem gives. Everything is spiritual. The ability to walk, to talk, to see, to hear, the soul, the, 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 the nefesh, the image of the face. Basically, everything that is 100% spiritual, then Hashem gave it. What does the father and the mother give? They give a list of the DNA of the person. Some come from the father, some come from the mother. I don't have time now to name the whole list, and it's not so relevant. The two things that are relevant is it's interesting because the father gives the bones. The bones that in the human body comes from the contribution of his father, physically. And the mother gives the flesh and the blood. The flesh and the blood. Now, when the person died, how does he die? Hashem comes and takes his share. All the spirituality of the person, the soul, the im, everything is gone. What happened to the person? A minute after he falls, and that's it. There's no more person. Only a body. After a while, even body you don't have. Only the skeleton, which is a bunch of bones. Why nothing left from the mother, only from the father? No flesh, the worms eat everything. No blood, it gets dry, the snakes, everything, they eat everything. They suck everything. Only the bones left for hundreds of years. The answer is... Because the existence of the mother, of the woman, of of Eve, came from the rib of the man. So actually, her her all existence came from the bone of the father. How can she get something that wasn't really hers? She came to the world thanks to this. That's why nothing is left from the mother. Only the bones that came from the father left with him in a grave, and nothing else. Everything else also from the father doesn't stay. Now, there is one more thing in the spirituality of a person that affects his life very much. Our life, the mind, the thoughts. Even though you should know there are different levels, we have the thoughts, which is the lowest level, then we actually have the speech, which is a higher level. If there is a contradiction between the thoughts, and the speech, the speech overcome the thought. If you thought to steal from someone, and in the end, for hours you're thinking, how do I steal? And when you went there and you saw the person, you, you felt bad for him, you gave him donation. So, this is now the third level, which is action. We have thought, we have speech, we have actions. Actions is above the words and words is above thoughts. The thought is not like speaking. If a person says something, it's a vow. If he only thought, it's not a vow. It's not committed. If he thought in his mind, uh, maybe I'm going to take this cow and dedicate it to Bet mikdash. He's thinking. It's not a vow yet. If he say this cow is holy to Hashem, there's no way to back it up you are, you must you obligate it, this is the power of the speech and actions is even higher level, but even though the mind is the lowest level out of three it's still very very crucial for the life of a person, what what the person thinks affects his entire life if a person thinks all the time about Hashem, all his entire life looks different His entire life, his holiness, his love to Hashem, his behaving, his behaving to people, his faith, his confidence in Hashem, it all starts in the mind. If the mind is filthy, always have bad things in mind from the bad things that a person sees, it affects every aspect of the person's life. If the mind is pure, you see right away an, an immediate change for good in the life of a person. A few years ago, they came out with this theory, it's, they called it the secret, that when a person thinks positive, you think that you're going to be a millionaire, you will be a millionaire. And they brought all kinds of people, they thought about it, and it's affected them. Of course, they don't show you how many people thought about it, that they never got what they want, but something from what they say, it is correct, and we don't need them for that, we have it from our own Torah. The Gemara says like this, listen good, if a woman got divorced and she did not become pregnant for 10 years, her system goes on a strike for good, she doesn't get pregnant again, but listen good. The Gemara says, this is the this is Gemara in Masechet Yevamot, page 34, if you want to look the source. She was married, and it took 10 years. From the time she got married, 10 years, she didn't get any kids. She didn't become pregnant. She's married for 10 years for the first time. You should know that up to 10 years, they tell the husband, don't give her a get, don't get divorced, even though he's obligated to have at least one boy and one girl and time is running out. Let's say he married when he's 20, he's already 30, doesn't have any kids. We do not know, especially in the time of the Torah, whose fault it is. If it comes from Her or from him, we don't know. Today there's all kinds of ways to find out. But in the old days, they didn't know it could be him, could be Her, doesn't matter. Sometimes it could be him with Her, but if he's going with another woman, he will be able to make her pregnant. So after 10 years with no luck, they tell him, if you want now, you are permitted to give her a divorce. What does it mean, permitted? Who cares? I want to have kids. The Torah says, I should have kids. Right now, I don't have kids. I marry somebody else. The answer is, because the Torah said, the Gemara said, that when a person divorces his wife, even the altar in Beta Mikdash have tears. And HaKanosh which means it's an expression that Hashem is crying for this Jew, that this house is broken. So how do you want to make your father in heaven crying just because you want children, you need a special permission. The permission is only after 10 years. And some righteous people waited 17 years, 20 years. Why? They say, I, I will trust Hashem. In the end it will happen, and sometimes it did happen. But the Gemara says like this. Amar Rabbi, Nachman, Rabbi Nachman says, "Lo amru ela sheen what we just said, that she doesn't get pregnant after 10 years anymore, if it didn't happen within 10 years, it won't happen. That's only if she gave up in her mind to get remarried when she got divorced, right? He divorced her after 10 years. And now she's another five years by herself. She didn't get married. So 15 years, she doesn't have kids. She's already 35. She doesn't have kids. She never became pregnant. But all these five years since her first husband divorced her, she had in mind, I am going to get married, and I want to have kids, I want to become pregnant. She will, if she still have a chance to get pregnant. But if she did not think that she wants to get married and have children, she won't become pregnant ever again. Who cares what she thinks? From here we learn that the thought of a person affecting his body physically <coughs> makes him get a heart attack, makes him get much older, makes him lose his hair, make his hair become white, make his vision very weak, makes smell come out of his body. All comes from the thoughts. That's why laughing, it's very good. Today they prove it. They prove that some chemical get released in the brain. What chemical has to do with spiritual feeling? Laughing, happiness, it's a spiritual feeling. Spiritual feeling affecting every inch of your body. What did you think? There's no connection. And depression and many other things. Also, I give you another example. When King King Saul was depressed, his spirit was down, he used to call King David, before he was a king, to play music for him. The music brought him back his happiness. So you see a spiritual thing, which is listening to music, it's 100% spiritual, affecting the person's behaving, affecting his body, affecting his health, affecting everything about his life, and many other examples. Then the main thing in the learning of the night of Oshana Rabbah and the night of Shavuot, that a person would only learn without speaking anything in between. Nothing. How do you feel? Did your wife come back from Israel? Where your son going to school? Who cares? It's now the time to know. Ask me tomorrow afternoon. Right now, we came to do tikkun, not to make it worse. If a person comes and sit and eat and talk and not really learning, he lose more than he gains. Even he learns an hour or two. But since he talks so much in between, he loses more than he gains. Now I'm going to tell you a story that, if you are clever, it's a story that will shock you and you will never forget it until the day you leave this world. It used to be a very big tzaddik, the Rosh Yeshiva of Porat Yosef in Eretz Israel, Raviuda Tzadka. It's a very holy person. He was a student of the great Ezra Atiyah, the Rosh Yeshiva. And, you know, many chachamim came from this yeshiva. Rav Ben-Zion Abba Shaul, Rav Ovadia Yosef, Rav Yehudah Rav Ades, big chachamim, holy people, one by one, and many others. And when he passed away, they came to his chavruta, the one who learned with him every day from morning to night, Gemara. How many years there were chavruta before Rav Yehudah passed away? 30 years. 30 years Sometimes, you see, well, of course, you see your Hevruta more than you see your wife. If you have a Hevruta that from morning to night you learn Gemara with him, your spiritual connection to him could be in a much higher level than what you have with your wife. You hardly see her half an hour a night, an hour a night, here and there. Most of the day you're sitting face to face with him, you talk, he answer. Direct spiritual connection, you and your chavruta. After 30 years, when Rav Yudha passed away, they came to his Hevruta and asked him to say a eulogy for him in the day of his funeral. And he said, I'm very sorry. I don't know anything about him. They told him, what do you mean? You're learning with him from morning, tonight, for 30 years. If you do not know him, who does know him? He said, I'll tell you the truth. I don't know even one personal detail about his life from the day we started to learn until now, we never spoke even once something that does not relate to Torah. Never. Never spoke to him about his family, about his, how he makes his living. nothing. We opened the Gemara from then to now, only Gemara, learning Torah, and we made a rule in the day we started that we will never say anything unless if it's Torah for 30 years, we never had a personal conversation. You understand such a thing? I mean, This is in our generation. Don't come to me and say, oh, Rabbi, it was in the time of Rabbi Akiva. Of course. I won't bring you a proof from the time of Rabbi Akiva. I know we're not Rabbi Akiva. I'm giving us an example of our father. It could be our father. Should have been 90 years old uh, today if he would be alive. 90, 95, whatever. It's not, we're not talking somebody from 2,000 years ago. So Hashem say, listen, I know you Unatra not review that tzadka. 365 days don't make a, wo- a beep about anything besides Torah. One night give me, two nights a year. Shavuot, Hoshan Arabah, I'll count it like you did it all your life. Two nights give me. Soon as the person come to do tikkun, orange juice, coffee, cakes, watermelon, friends, sex, telephone in out we all like this and the satan say <laughs> what fools they came to do tikkun they bring me more profits <laughs> that's it and this is what the people don't pay attention to you know there is something interesting the the geffen the grape the grape we do all the Jewish ceremonies is on wine. Everything. Geffen, 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 borepria, geffen. The geffen, if you try to mix it with any other fruit, genetic, you try to mix between the seeds of the geffen to anything else, you can't. But if you mix it with different kinds of grapes, there's so many different kinds of grapes, hundreds. Any other kind of grape seeds that you mix, one with each other, they get mixed. That's how they develop so many different kinds of grapes. Grafting. It's called grafting. Grafting? Grafting. Thank you. Grafting. So with, with his own kind, different, but his own family, it agrees. But with other species, with other kinds, not. What is it, the Jew? Hashem said to the Jew, you are not allowed to marry any other nation. But different nationality, mitzvah, for all the racists among us. Oh, it's not like, the, what is it? Not Sefaradid? No, I don't want. Not Ashkenazi? No. Not Hasid? No. Not this, not Persian, not Syrian. And Hashem is crying for our stupidity. I was stupid. It's, it's no other words besides stupidity, because this is when a person talks like this. Not only is not tzaddik, he didn't even start to become a little bit righteous. Why? Because how can it be that you think that you're better than somebody else just because your accent is from this country, or just because you think that he's not as good because he was born in different part of the world? You don't have the same Torah. He doesn't read the same teilim he doesn't have the same shulchan aruch. He doesn't put yamaka on. He doesn't have tzitzit. He doesn't have tfilin, He doesn't pray three times a day. He doesn't read in the same Torah. He doesn't eat the same kosher meat. Well, what's the difference between you and him? The color of your eyes. What is it? The answer is there's no difference. Only the satan makes us think we are better than others. And there's no other words for it. Besides racism, prejudice, you name it. So this is one thing that destroy us. Today, was also an opportunity to fix it. Before it's too late for a person. He thinks he's the greatest, he comes to Hashem, and Hashem says, well, listen, you know I'm judging everyone measure for measure. I'll judge you the way you judged others. Everyone is garbage to you. You are garbage to me. What do you think? But Hashem, I learned Torah all my life. I finished it." I finished this, I finished, I was in Lakewood, I was in uh, the yourself, Yosef, whatever. Who cares, Hashem say. All the points, all the purpose of the Torah was to make you a human being. You learn 40 years and you, will, you still stay like an animal. Even the grapes, which is not, uh, the grapes doesn't have a brain. The grapes knows who to accept who not. Different kind, no permission, why? The grape, it's a parable to the nation of Israel. What else is special about grape? It's a very small tree, it's a bush. And it cannot grow unless if it climbs on something. It doesn't grow. Any other tree grows, that's it. It has the branches, It's expands, finished. It's very strong. The grape, very soft. The nation of Israel physically, very soft. Esav has strong arms. Kol kol yakov. We, are not, we are not physically special. We are not in this world to win the gold medal in the Olympic Games in wrestling. If you think that's the purpose of the Jew, I'm very sorry. You have no idea what you do here. Leave it to Esav. Leave it to Ahmed and Chris and whoever, yeah, and Bruce Lee. But for a Jew, a kol kol yakov. what other special thing about the Geffen? If you want to grow geffen, you take pieces of stick, wood, and you stick them in the ground. And the geffen will find the way always to the stick. If you put the stick on the right, it will go towards the right. If you change your mind and you take it after a week and move it to the left, it's going to make a U-turn. And it will still find the stick. Why? It needs something to climb on. Just like the living bush, the living tree cannot grow without the dead tree. The nation of Israel, the generation that is alive, cannot grow without leaning on their fathers who are already in heaven. That's the, that's the secret of the Geffen. And many others. One other thing is, how do you make wine? You take the grapes after you clean, and you, take, you put some rubber uh, bushes, and you step on it, until all the juice come out. And then what happened? Then when you drink it, the, 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 the wine step on you. You step on the, on the grapes to make wine, and then when you drink the wine, the wine step on you. You fall, you become drunk, that's it. The nation of Israel in this world, everyone step on their head. The whole United Nation, all the nations, always constantly automatically against the Jews. But when Mashiach comes, everything will turn around. The ones who step over the heads of the nation of Israel will be all under their legs. Why? Everything is measure for measure. Then, let's say some of the things that King David has to tell us in tonight, when it's the ushpezin of the special night tonight in the holiday of Sukkot. This is what he says. He says like this, David says, Ki ani, ani I'm poor and miserable. And right after that, the next verse is Ki Hasid Ani. In the same chapter, one verse he say, Ki ani, ani I'm poor and miserable. And right next row, you say, Ani chasid. Hasid means is above righteous. Righteous is even higher level. How do you explain the contradiction? You're poor and avion and miserable. And the next line you say, you're chasidata. The answer is, what's the connection? It's like this. The Gemara in Pirkei Avot say, who is a Hasid? Someone who say to his friend, what's yours is yours, what's mine is also yours. Which means I don't have anything. Whatever is mine is the public territory. That's ani I'm not, I I can have millions. But since everyone has access to it free, it's always like Rabbi Yudha Anasi was a billionaire, and all his house was like a train station. One poor after the other, come, eat there, sitting there all day, like a a pen station. Then the Gemara described his table full of wealth, all the poor people, all day, all night, and and before he died, he raised his 10 fingers, the Gemara says, and he made a statement. He announced, Hashem, you are my witness that I never enjoyed this physical world even a bit. Nothing. Like Mara said, what do you mean? You were the richest Jew in Israel. You were the Mishnah. And they say if Mashiach had to come in this generation, you are the one who is worthy of being Mashiach. What do you mean you never enjoyed this world? The answer is, of course not. I wasn't addicted to anything in this world, it, whatever I had was for others. For me, it wasn't for me besides Torah, I don't care about anything. Rabi Udanasi is reincarnation of Jacob, Yaakov Avinu. The only person in the Torah that Hashem called him Kadosh is Yaakov Avinu. Why? Because the first time he had a boy was Reuven, he was 86. And he said on Reuven, Reuven, Reshit only the first seed who came out of my body is my son, Reuven, 86 years old. Do you know a person like this in the world? That 86 years he survived without wasting a drop of seed until he got married and had a boy? Where did you see something? Perhaps it never happened in history. That's why Hashem said, this is a holy person. And the second one that they said in the time of the Gemara, that is holy, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, the Gemara say he never took his hands under his belt. All his life he lived 120 years. Not even once he let his arm down, that he will be below the waist. Never. All his life he had a rule. My hands will always be above my belt. Why? It won't go to the bottom part of my body. Not modest enough for me. It's not the halacha. It's not the law. Why? It's a reincarnation of the only one, the one of the three fathers that Hashem called him holy. Holy. He stays holy. Then in Rosh Hashanah we said, Meloch Kulo. We ask Hashem, we say, Arat Olam, today it's the birth of the world. Yamid mishpat. today Hashem is judging the world. Okay. Everyone, no, fine. Then we say, we ask Hashem to to control the entire world, like a king. Meloch, be the king of the entire world. Al kol a olam kulo. That's not a proper Hebrew. There's an extra word here. All, he ha- well, all we had to say is, Meloch al kol a olam, control the whole world. That's it. Why we say kulo again? We already say kol a olam, we say the entire universe. Now, why we have to say again uh, uh, the entire? It's, it's 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 no need for it. <laughs> so the answer is, we have a rule in the Torah: Rubo kechulo. That's what I told you before. We didn't finish the whole Tikkun. We did most of it. Most of it in Torah count like all of it, but everybody knows it's not all of it. It's seventy percent. Still not complete. But Bedil vayavo, fine. Hashem say, okay, you did 70%, fine. Over here, we say to Hashem, control the entire world, not most of the world that will count like the whole world. Don't leave one inch of this world without your supervision. Why? We cannot survive one minute. 70 nations are waiting to slaughter us like rats, waiting with their knives. Like we are the sheep between 70 wolves are thirsty for our blood. And every second, Hashem is doing billions of miracles for us not to be destroyed. Because naturally, there's no way we could survive one minute with the amount of hate that the world has to us. And the answer is, if Hashem will only control 70% of the world, it's enough. He leaves two, three countries with no control. We are done. That's why we say to Hashem, Eloch Al Kol Ha'Olam Kulo. But there's also one more thing. When we say it, we think in our head, "Accept me, Hashem. Me, leave me alone. Control the whole world. Judge everyone. Give reward to everyone. Punish those who are not righteous. But me, leave me alone. Don't don't be too strict with me. I used to give lectures in Brooklyn." He used to be a Yemenite guy, who used to bring a lot of people, and he, was, he wasn't even religious, he wasn't Shomer Shabbos. And he gave a, he got a lot of people to the lectures. And I kept telling him, "What's about you? You're bringing everyone, they all become religious, and you staying like this. He said, listen, me, you leave me alone. I'll bring you the guys, if you start with me, I'm not going to continue this lecture. I said, no, how can it be? Everyone comes, they become, and you, the owner of the place, you're not becoming religious. It's a Hilul Hashem. No, 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 I'm serious. I'm not joking. Me, don't put pressure on me. Leave me alone. I'll bring you the people. (laughs) Person can live in a lie. It doesn't bother him. He knows that that's the right thing. He makes the lecture. He buys the food. He makes calls. It wasn't like today. There was no emails. No automatic list. He had to call one by one manually in a rotary phone. We are talking about 14, 15 years ago. He did a work to get the people. Until a few years later, I saw him in a supermarket in Brooklyn, kippah, a little beard. Baruch Hajem, in the end, he became religious. But I didn't have the school to see it in my own lectures. Only a few years later, maybe three or four years later, I met him. This was like us. Hashem, take care of the whole world. Hashem say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep saying your speeches. Do you mean that I should control you also? Or you want to be controlled by your nonsense and your desires? Hashem knows what. you well, in Rosh Hashanah, Hashem, control the whole world. Pay everyone what they deserve. Me? God forbid. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I don't deserve bad. A hundred percent. Hashem say, my friend, start with yourself. You want to tell me to control the world? First, make sure I'm able to control you. You accept me as your king. Everything else would look different. You know what's the difference between a healthy person to a sick person? What's the difference between healthy and sick? What's the difference? (laughs) What's the difference? Why? Where does it say that healthy or sick doesn't have or have a Muna? Depend on a person. Healthy person doesn't have a so control. Healthy people know that the, the health is in the hand of Hashem. Every day they say, Thank you, Hashem, that I'm not sick. And the sick people, even if they didn't believe in Hashem, now they do. In a hospital, everyone becomes religious. I always say it. So, no. It could be physical sickness. The neshama is perfectly pure. Rav Ben Tzion Abba Shaul was paralyzed. It was the holiest person on earth. The biggest Chacham, the biggest Kabbalist, the most humble person, the greatest character on a wheelchair. The neshama is no problem. The body is limited. It can be blind. Big Tzadikim were blind. They knew the whole Torah by heart. There's no connection. The answer is... The healthy person has many things to worry about. The sick person only worries about one thing. He wants to live. That's all. He doesn't care about business, parnasa, nothing. What this guy say about me, what they wrote about me in the newspaper. From the minute he becomes sick, he doesn't care about all this. So sometimes the sickness really is a favor to a person. He had 3,000 different things that he was worried about and driving himself crazy every day. Stress, depression, problem, anger, all, all kinds of problems. Fighting, marriage problem, all because of all the pressure. The business, the other store, the college, this. They write about me, what they say. What? They, oh, so many problems. Once God forbid he becomes sick, believe me, from this moment on, All he cares is about, doctor, what's my MRI say? Do I live or I'm going to die? Do you think that the day that he found out he's waiting for the results of the MRI, he cares if somebody wrote about him in a newspaper or something? Not anymore. This is the difference between a person who recognizes a situation to a person who still lives in illusion. And sometimes I have a feeling that all of us is in the wrong category here. Not that I want to be sick. It's better not to be sick and not to worry about nonsense, of course. But if that's the only way to make you think about the right thing, unfortunately, it's better than nothing. The Gemara says, the Gemara in Masechet Sukkah, page 51, it says that in Mots'ei Yom Tov Rishon, the end of the first Yom Tov of Sukkot, which we just was a few days ago, <laughs> they used to go down to the ladies' section. Why I'm telling you these stories? Because this is the first time I speak in this amazing, beautiful shul, which, in my opinion, perhaps the most pretty shul I ever seen, Blia inara And it's also built in the most kosher way. Why? Some shuls, they have the, the men and the women in the same floor. Even though they make a kosher separation, you hear, sometimes, you know, they open a little bit the, the, the carton, Over here, a person is down. The ladies is all the way up. You don't really see them. And when did we learn the concept that the ladies should have their own floor above, that it won't be in the eyesight of a man, even though there's mechitza? This is the source. The Gemara Zayn Masechet Sukkah, page 51. In the end of Sukkot, the Yom Tov of Sukkot, the Chachamim, the rabbis, came to the ladies' section, which was on the first floor, where... In Bet HaMikdash, not in a shul, in Bet HaMikdash, in the main shul, in the house of Hashem. And they made a very special tikkun. They made a big decree, a great decision that's going to affect the Jewish world tremendously from now on. What was that tikkun, what was that special correction? that they decided that from now on the ladies will go upstairs in Bet HaMikdash and the men will stay downstairs. The Gemara say, how can something like this be? There is no permission to change one little thing in the house of God. This is the way it has to be. Where did they have the guts to make such a change in the original shul, the house of Hashem? Where the Chachamim had this nerve to do such a thing? The Gemara say they learn it from Kalvachomer. Kalvachomer, it's a rule in Judaism. It means in English, it's needless to say, right? If a person who killed one person got 10 years in prison, a person who killed... A hundred people, isn't it needless to say that you will get at least 10 years in prison? If one who killed one got 10 years, one who killed 100, minimum 10 or 100, right? But for sure, not less than 10, because otherwise there's no justice, nothing. That's called needless to say. The Chachamim learned from Zachary, Scharia. The prophet Scharia writes, La'atid Lavo, he described a prophecy. That in the future, there will be a eulogy to the Messiah. Eulogy. The Messiah will die. Which Messiah? Yes. Mashiach ben Yosef. Different Messiah. Not from the family of King David, the famous Messiah that we're waiting for. A different one from the family of Yosef. That he got killed in the war of Gog-Humagog. gog Umagog. What's Gogu Magog? Gogu Magog is the final massive war that will take place in the world before the time of Mashiach will start, the the resurrection of the dead, all the great prophecies that we have in the Bible, in the Tanakh, will take place in Israel and the rest of the world. That's going to be the final massive war. Gogu Magog. Now... When Gogu Magog will start in the night of Oshana Rabbah. That's one of the secrets why we stay to learn Torah. Because we don't know what year it's going to be. Or if it's going to be, you know how it's going to be? Right away, a few atomic bombs. And if you sit and learn Torah, you're going to get saved. If you're going to be snoring, I don't know what's going to be. I only have one doubt. If you come to shul and snore... That's a question to me. What's going to happen with you? You get saved thanks to the other people who learn around you? or it won't help you. That's, I don't have the answer. Well, one thing for sure, you'll be out of the shul, you are in great jeopardy. You'll be inside the shul learning, for sure you get saved. You'll be half enough, your body's in the shul, but your mind is who knows where? Then I don't know. So the Gemara say they learn from Zahariah. He says, it's going to be a eulogy that the Mashiach Ben Yosef will get killed in Gogu Magog. We don't know who's Mashiach Ben Yosef. Could be one of us. We don't know. And the prophets say that the eulogy will be men separate and women separate. And this is the needless to say. Chazal, our sages are saying, are teaching us a great rule. If in a time of a eulogy, when the Yetzer has no control, when the evil inclination of the person is dead, at least for the half an hour that everyone cries for the dead person, especially when it's such an important person to the Jewish nation, is just like the most important rabbi in the world, Chaz Shalom, passed away, and thousands of people are crying going nuts in his funeral, and then a pretty lady is coming. Do you think anyone has the mind not to look, go look for her? Everyone is on the floor crying for the, for, for, for the biggest diamond in the world is gone. The Yetzir doesn't bother you in this moment, because he you knows there's no chance. That's not a moment that is going to convince you, come, come, there's a pretty lady in the beach. Come before she's gone. What do you mean? I'm crying for the Gdolador, I'm crying for Mashiach Ben Yosef. And they, the Prophet Zachary say, even in that moment, there will be a eulogy for the men and for the women completely separately. So Chazal said, if when the evil inclination doesn't work, they made sure to separate completely between the men and the women, in Simchat Beta Shoeva, in the holiday of Sukkot, parties, music, the rabbis throwing torches in the air. It's half a party, half a circus. Because they make all kinds of show for everyone to come. Even the ignorant Jews that are not so interested in Torah and mitzvot, they come for the show. Gamliel have eight torches with fire in the air for a long, long time. Not one of them is falling down. Show me one person in the world can do with eight. Three, if they do, everyone is amazed. Wow. For five minutes, he's throwing three torches in the air. You know, they all flip in the air with the fire, and he doesn't get burned, he doesn't fall. Three. It's already very impressive. Imagine eight. All kinds of things. The Gemara say, someone who didn't see the happiness of the party of Beta HaShoeva, Bet Shoeva means to, to, uh, to get water, to draw water from the, from the spring, from the wells, to, and they used to, in Sukkot, they used to put this water on the Mizbeach. This is what we say. This is what the water that they used to take from the Shiloach, from the spring of the Shiloach. This is the, 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 the greatest mikveh that you have, right next to Beta Mikdash. Even today you still have it, the water there. They used to take it and put it in the altar, and they used to make a very big deal out of it. And everyone come, Yerushalayim is full of thousands of people, such happiness. And in a time like this, they're not going to look around, I'm looking for a shidduch. So they say, move the ladies up, that even if a person wants to see a girl, it's going to be too obvious. It goes like this in the middle of that, Moshe, what are you doing? What are you looking for? No, Rabbi, there's a bird over there, make noise, bothers me. You understand it's going to be too obvious. But if he prays, nobody can see, looks, you know, the eyes are moving left and right. So that's how they move it. And Baruch Hashem, whoever designed this shul, I guess he knew this Gemara, I don't know. But anyway, this is the way it is. Now, before time is running out, and we're going to have to start praying our shachrit. This is a lecture that's taking place at 5.20 a.m. now. (laughs) Baruch Hashem. A uh, few more things before we finish. Maharam uh, Mirotenburg, the... <coughs> I'm going to change a little bit now the subject and to speak about something that perhaps will be more of an interest to you. Speaking about our week now, all over the media, the Maharam Mirotenburg say, they say about him, that in the evening of Oshana Rabbah he used to spill on himself nine kavim of water, nine buckets full of water he used to, to spill on his head. Why? To purify his body and soul before he comes to learn all night in the night of Oshana Rabbah? Why didn't he bother to go far away to the lake or to the mikveh in the old days? This is six or 700 years ago his generation. The answer is because it wasn't an obligation. It's not like when you became impure and you want to enter Bet HaMikdash or something, you must go into the water. Or Metzorah or all the other things that the Torah say, you must go into natural water, that's a different story. Over here it's a choice. a choice. I don't waste half an hour. This is, by the way, the answer to many people who are very much to go every day to the Mikveh. It may take them sometimes half an hour to an hour. And that comes on the expense of learning Torah. Some rabbis say, there's an argument about it. I'm not saying any Allah here. But I know many big Talmideh Chachamim that say, Mamash with these words, that is a waste of time. Because the mitzvah of going all the way, driving to the mikveh, waiting there, taking your clothes off, going in, getting dressed again, taking a shower, all this. And until you come back to the yeshiva, you could have made another 10,000 mitzvot by learning Torah in this time. So the question is, what's more important? Some that goes very strong according to Kabbalah, they say, no, no. Even though, yes, the calculation is clear, Torah, of course, is connected kulam, but the Torah will be in a much higher quality if you made sure to go into the mikveh. Chacham of Yosef, which is G'dol of the Sephardim in the world today, he writes in his book clearly, if, it, if it's hard for you to go to mikveh, even Erev Yom Kippur, which is a very important night, or Rosh Hashanah, Yishpok al what what we call a shower today. You know? So even a shower helps. Not Some people say, ah, shower is nothing. No, no, it helps. It purifies a little bit, better than what it was before. But the Mahara Rotenburg was a very big Chacham. Very big Chacham. And he died in jail. Why he was in jail? He didn't cheat the FBI or the IRS. No, no. He was in jail because the wicked goyim, Gentiles, kidnapped him and put him in jail and demanded high ransom to release him from jail. And of course, his thousands of students gathered all the money together to get him out of jail, because it's a very important mitzvah. It's called pidyon shvuyim redeeming the jewish prisoners from the end of the goyim for, for you know for even if there's no, not enough money there's permission to sell the sefer Torah that we have in a community to gather money to save the life of a Jew before they kill him in prison who knows what they do to him. But the Gemara say there is one condition to this rule. You don't give much more than what the prisoner is worth, you don't give. And I'm going to explain what I mean. The Maharam Rotenburg told his students, I don't give permission to any one of you to give these wicked murderers a penny. Nothing. Even if I die here in jail. I die here, you don't release me. If you release me today, it's the end of us. Every month they'll kidnap somebody else and come and they want millions of dollars. If they see that you don't release once, twice, nobody comes with the money, they leave us alone. This is the way they understand. If it pays them, they'll continue to do what they do. We just very excited with the famous deal of Gilad Shalit, the Israeli soldier, which was five years and four months in the prison of Hamas and didn't see light, looks very skinny as you can see, him. very slow with the way he thinks, he needs a lot of vitamins, he needs to gain about 30-40 pounds before he'll be able to even walk, he's not in such a good condition, but, and of course, nobody can suspect that any Jew in the world had any interest not to release him. Everyone, religious, non-religious, from all over the world, even Jews who never stepped in Israel, their heart was with these soldiers. Everyone was hoping that he will come out and he'll be alive and be healthy. And of course, there's there's not even a a point to argue. But the question is, what's the opinion of the Torah about this deal, about this subject? Not about our hearts. We always go with the hearts and we forget the brain. And the heart usually gives us the wrong advice what does the Torah say the Torah say and me the means money you don't release them for overprice if it's reasonable price you want to do it fine if it's too much you don't the price of releasing one Jew of releasing one thousand and twenty seven thirsty to blood, horrible, despicable murderers that murder women and children and people and soldiers, many in different cases, in Lela Seder, butchered everyone who was sitting in Passover night, and another person and a family, and all kinds of innocent citizens, releasing them after being in prison three, four, five, seven years and releasing them back to these fanatic Muslim worlds that over there, there's only one job, to work for Iran, receiving a salary, and go back to terrorism. There's not one, and not, There's no other options. Almost all of them will go back to terrorism as, as of now. They're already one or two days out. They're already planning the new terrorism attack. So the question is, do we have permission to save one Jew even though we have huge sympathy to him, we feel very bad for him, it broke many hearts of us, constantly, daily, weekly. There's no question about this. Everybody understands that part. Do we have permission to jeopardize 10 Jews to save one? Or 10,000 Jews to save one? The answer is no. There's no permission. Why? Because what's the point? Saving one Jew, his blood is more red than the other ones? There's no permission. In the Holocaust, there used to be a very big Chacham. His name, Rabbi Ashri. I knew him personally from Lower East Side. Passed away maybe 10 years ago. Not even. Very, very big Tzaddik. He was the posek of the ghetto, of the camps. He was the one who answered questions of life and death every minute. And one person came to him and said, Rabbi, My son is in the list of people who are going to be killed tomorrow. There's a list that they're sending them to die. I know this German that can get him out of the list by bribing him. I send him to a place where I hid money before they arrested us here. I'll tell him where the money is. He guarantees me, he gets my son out of the list and he won't die. But it clears to me that he has to put another Jew in that list. Because otherwise they'll ask him, hey, we ask for X amount, Why? how come there's one less? So he has to push another Jew. He's going to push one of our brothers here, a stranger to me, not my son. Am I allowed to do it? What was the answer? No, one for one. Not one for 10, not one for 1,000, not one for 10,000. One for one. You can release your own son. He told him, please don't ask me this question. He said, Rabbi, you don't have to say another word. I got the point. And he sent his son to die. I didn't expect that from the parents of Gilad Shalit, because I don't think that I would have done it. We are not in this level. Whatever they did, from their point of view, is 100% legitimate. Every person has the right to fight for his children's life. The pain of losing a child... It's beyond any imagination. Therefore, we cannot judge any person in a time of sorrow. But the question is the leaders of the Jewish nation that have the power to sign and decide these things, do they have to be influenced by feelings, by people, by newspapers, by political pressure, knowing for sure many more Jews will die to release one Jew? The answer is absolutely not. With all the pain, there was no permission. On top of it, there is another issue here. We have hundreds of Jewish families that have been sitting and crying from morning to night for years about their, parents, their kids and their dears who were butchered by these monsters. And now they see this monster going back to the street, being to the whole world, eating candy, party, shooting in the air, you know, and, 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 and hard to believe. And, and declaring, oh, we defeated the Israelis. What do they want? Here, we're going to release everyone. We kidnap more. They already announced, we have to kidnap more than we release the other 4,000 prisoners. And this family, imagine, God forbid, that they kill your innocent son. They butchered him. They chopped his head off. And three years later, you see them all over the media. And they give them flowers and candies and buy them a house courtesy of Iran. Do we have permission to do it to these families? The answer is I'm not sure. This is an an extra point now. And there's one more problem. One more problem. What is the other problem? The other problem is, what is it, the siren of the nets? Uh, Maybe it's uh, the alarm time. It's very good. Uh, It shows me that you're a big tzaddik, Naftali, if every day it goes the alarm of 5.30. That's a good sign. I always like to look at little details. It tell tell a lot about the person. Like, I know one person that whenever I call his office, you also know him, he's one of you. He's not here with us, but he's one of us. That whenever you call his office, the receptionist never asks who is calling Right away, she transferred the call. So one time I told him, I can sign a personal guarantee that you don't have any enemies and you don't owe money to any person. He said, how do you know? I say, every person today in this world, especially here in America, especially here in New York, has to go to 15 minutes of investigation, who he is, where is he from, what is it about, let me check if he's here, the whole nine yards. Until once every, you know, two or three months, the call goes through. And some calls never go through. <laughs> never go through. By you, who is this? No question. What, do you, what is it about? What is it in reference to? Can I speak to Mr. X? Hold on. The phone goes directly to his line. That teaches a lot about the person. You have nothing to hide. You have no, no enemy. Nobody's after you. Mr. X, you owe me money. How long are you going to keep my money? I'll kill you. I'll come to your office. You don't need it. I'm not, I'm not hiding. I'm available. <laughs> that teaches a lot. Let's go back to our subject. The problem is now that there are few changes that must be done immediately in our nation. Since the mistake was done already, and that's it. And Hashem let it happen for, what, for his own reasons. We have to correct the problem. A smart person is a person who doesn't repeat the same mistake more than once. If he already did it twice, he's a fool person. Foolish. It's not smart. How do we avoid what happened to us this week in the future? There are two things we must do right away. We have to do what the Torah told us. The Torah told us, a murderer, even if he's a Jew, needless to say, a Hamas terrorist, that the only reason he lives for is to murder. Even a Jew killed another Jew, fight over money, fight over honor, gossip, he made him damage, revenge, whatever the case was. A murderer must be executed, has no permission to stay alive, and he cannot pay ransom to redeem his life. No. Must be killed. If by a Jew is like this, it's needless to say by these murderers. Now the Jew, we have a problem because we don't have Sanhedrin. We don't have Sanhedrin, and we cannot judge murderers the same way we cannot judge Michal El Shabbos to execution, even though that's the law. We don't have Sanhedrin today. That's why we let them free. All the sinners do whatever they want today. As long as the police doesn't catch the murderer, he does whatever he wants. He can go to his next victim. But when it comes to our enemies, who declare day and night that they come to destroy us in a war, the answer is, from now on, and hopefully my words will come to the right ears, the people who can make this decision, from now on, Every murderer of a Jewish person on the state of Israel which is under the law of Israel that can be judged by the Israeli court must be executed within 30 days and don't leave him one more minute alive. Why? Not to open another window for such foolish act in the future which is just a matter of time until it will happen again. There are two reasons to do it. One because this is the right thing to do. Second, why should we pay to feed this monster from our own money? I do not go to work, neither you, or any other Israeli or Jew in in the world, to feed the most despicable murderers on earth, to feed them and supply them television, or computer lessons in jail. That's not what Hashem wants. You murder innocent Jews, You have to be killed immediately. In United States, nobody... There are many American soldiers who kidnapped all the time. Nowhere it even started any negotiation with kidnappers or terrorists. Every terrorist knows from United States, maybe you'll get some money, but it will come from the family, not from the government, and definitely the government will not release any Arab terrorists from any one of the jails. It will never happen. It never happened before. They have a policy. We don't make deals with terrorist murderers. Israel, it's the merciful Jewish heart. The Gemara say, Jews have three signs. baishanim, Gomlech Hasadim, and Rachmanim. Merciful, shy, and kind. The mercy here overcame the brain and made us do a mistake that, unfortunately, will cause the life of many Jews. Unfortunately, I'm very sorry to say it, and I hope a miracle will happen, and I'll be wrong. I hope. But we know who we're dealing here with. We're not, we're not that naive. Okay? They go and assassinate all these people. In jail, they couldn't do it. Now they can. No, 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 but it's not so simple because they go to... T- you see, you give more credit to the Israeli army than what they really deserve. If they were so great in five and a half years, their intelligence and all the Arabs who cooperate with them, the information, should have told them that this Israeli soldier is hidden in some basement in Gaza which is 10 miles away from where they are. Remember, Gaza and Israel, it's a matter of 10 miles. It's like from here to Manhattan. It's very close. They couldn't find in five and a half years where an Israeli soldier is hiding in one of the Arab neighborhoods. When they go in and out constantly to look for terrorists, in all these five years, they couldn't find. None of the Arab told about him, even though, I promise you, they offered tons of money, and nobody told about him, and in the end, they got what they wanted. So what, what, what I'm saying is to correct in the future is rule number one as soon as they've been convicted with witnesses that were the murderer, whether they murder one or more, must be executed right away. Number two, number two, now when they finally made that mistake, they have to be honest to both sides, not only to these terrorists. They are Jewish terrorists as well that killed some of them. But they're going to stay in jail forever, for another 34 years. Where is the justice? We're releasing our enemies that declare day and night they want to destroy us. And one of us, or five of us, that went and took revenge against them for killing us, we would leave them in our jails forever? No. They have to know that when they're releasing their murderers, they're also releasing our murderers. When we have few went and fought against them and killed them, they sit in Jewish prisons. Why are they going to stay there forever? There's about 15 or 20 of them. Why are they going to stay? Where is the justice? A deal? deal is a deal. No problem. You're releasing murderers? You release murderers on both sides. Or you don't keep them alive. Maram Rotenburg, this is what he said. Don't release me from jail. I will die here because after that they will kidnap more and more and more Jews and it will never end. The Jewish heart overcome the Jewish brain, unfortunately. And the decision is, even though we're very happy, we hope that no Jew will be in a situation that this family has been in, but we, when we come to make a decision, we have to know that the blood of one Jew is not more red than the blood of another Jew. And with no permission. If the Goim come to a Jewish town and they say, give us one Jew, if not, we kill all of you. And there are 50,000 Jews there living, or even 100,000. Could be the entire city of Israel. And they say, give us one Jew now to kill. If not, we come and kill all of you. The halacha is we are not allowed to give them that Jew. If they come and kill all of us, we say Shema Israel," and we die. We're not allowed to give them, needless to say, to give them more than a thousand murderers that tomorrow morning will begin to murder again. its no question about it. Or they already murdered so many Israelis and the families until today sit and cry nonstop, and they see the murderer of their children signaling the whole world about his party. One and another one and another one. This is no justice. It will never happen in America or any other normal country. Now when it's happened, I'm very happy for them. And hopefully they'll know no sorrow and everything. But we are now talking to learn from our mistakes. You don't make the prison full of thousands of murderers. You kill them right away. You convict them in murder, execution right away, like in Texas. Nobody makes a beep. It doesn't have to be in front of the television. Why don't we have that execution? It will be. Nothing. It will be now. Because now it's, the, now it's the right time that many of the Israelis begin to open up their head and find out who the enemies are. And already they scream now that they must make, the, by the way, you should know that the law exists already. You don't need to pass that law. Like in America, you have to make a vote in Congress and all these things. The vote already gives permission to execute murderers of Jews. But the fear of what people will say, or what the world would say, and all this politics behind it. Yeah, and so I'm telling you, if the prison only had 200 of them, you only had to give them 200 for him. If there was only 50 people there, you would give them only 50. What do you think? They will do the deal with 50. Now, you understand? It's a miracle that they didn't get the whole 4,000 for him. You understand? It's just a matter of a decision. Any more questions about what we spoke about for the last two hours? Oshana Rabbah, because we have to start praying now. We also pray that for not to be killed. Yes. Yes. The power of the prayers. I make a very strong, powerful lecture about praying, which I get every hour. Baruch Hashem, people who open up their eyes, what's the power of the prayers? And why some prayers can change and some prayers cannot change, what decree can be changed, what decrees cannot be changed. I don't have time to explain the whole concept. It's an hour and a half explanations about it. But you should know one thing. There are some decrees who can be changed by praying to Hashem. Some decrees you can pray for billions of years, it won't help. It's final and there are three different kinds of decrees. The Peleoets explain. We do not know when Hashem decree on us which one of the three it is. It's open to a change or not open to a change. Also you should know that when a person gains something by begging Hashem to give it to him, and Hashem agreed to give it to him as chesed, as a gift, but not chesed, he never loses it. And also it doesn't come on the expense of his afterlife. But everything that a person got, not thanks to his prayers, Either is going to lose it in his lifetime, it's open to this possibility, and definitely is going to take away from his Olam because you cannot win both tables. It's either here or there, unless if it's Matnat Chesed. Matnat Chesed means a poor person comes to you, give me five dollars, I'm hungry, help me out. You don't owe him anything. You can tell him, get I don't want to see you, but you're nice. You're merciful, you say, okay, $5, go buy yourself something to eat. It's a gift. You don't want anything in return. You're not jeopardizing him by taking him. He doesn't have to pay it back. There's no due date, no interest. The same thing Hashem does with us. If you gather with filah, it's yours forever and it's protected forever. Nobody can touch it. You gather through business, through hard work, through tricks, through all kinds of ways that people get their money, It could be by you a year, it could be by you 20 years, in the end it's gone. If it's not gone from you, it's gone from your children. Or when you die, God forbid, the IRS come and take half right away, and it's all a part of Hashem plans. Or he sends you the authorities to take $70,000 a year taxes on your house. You understand? And when you call them to take the garbage, they get angry. (laughs) Or there's a paddle next to your driveway, and you beg them to come, put $5 to close it, they get very angry. But 70000 a year, they charge. You understand? Or if you call the fire department or the police, they show up three hours later. Or the police say, don't bother us. We cannot do anything about this. Get a security system. Get a a guard. They, they They have their answers. They know what to say. They get very angry, if you ask. You understand? And this is it. Hashem has his ways to get some of this money that we make in certain ways out of us. Sometimes it could be Shalom go to doctors. Every doctor visit, the insurance doesn't pay, it's in out of town, it was there, you went overseas, the insurance is not there, you had to pay thousands. You don't see. But whatever you got through tefillah and begging to Hashem, it's yours forever. This is like a much blessed thing. That's why some people make millions of dollars and never see blessing in their money. Never. They never enjoy life. Whatever they do, in the end, there's all kinds of tragedies, problems. I know a guy like this. He owns a big building in Manhattan and makes $60,000 rents. And 30 more thousand he makes in his own personal business. He makes almost $100,000 a month. It's okay, no, to live. Always he needs loans. He buys a new car, $50,000. He said tomorrow morning I call our insurance. One hour is in the driveway. Two o'clock at night, somebody steals it. Five more hours, they would insure the car. It's gone. Four children he have, all of them special education, $120,000 tuition on four children. You understand? His wife, she wants to make a show off in a community. She's not a businesswoman. But the status of this fake lifestyle, she has to. So she has to pretend that she's in the level of the rest of the wealthy people in their area even though they are peanuts compared to their neighbors. So she is in business pretending she's a career woman, and she takes away basically all the profit he makes. Every month, 10,000, he has to give to her business that she won't go bankrupt. You understand what's going on? This is an example of a person who makes money and don't have blessing. And we have in Monsi, Avrechim in Yeshiva, or in Israel, you know how much they get a month? $500 $500 a month, that's it. He has seven children, ten children, three, four, whatever. They live in a tiny one-bedroom apartment. The children sleep in the living room. The buildings are... Harlem, it's paradise compared to the shape of the buildings. If a person just go on a five-minute visit and see how they live these people, it's enough for him to kiss every inch of the floor in his house for the rest of his life and to finally appreciate the luck that he has. But these people, they make very little. Technically, it shouldn't be enough for anything. Somehow, somehow, they survive. Somehow, they survive. Nobody can explain, because the rent in Jerusalem is almost $1,000 on a one bedroom apartment, if not more, in, in these houses. And they make 500 and they somehow survive. And nobody can answer this question already for so many years. Same thing here in Muncie. How much do the yeshiva give them? In America, it's even harder. 500, 700. One guy who teaches for 12 years already makes 1,200 a month. And his rent is more than 2,000. And how does he live? Nobody knows. Hundreds, one after the other, and they have blessing. And even they eat chicken on Shabbos, which for them is luxury. But based on their income, no other guy that makes 1,200 dollars a month can afford even bread. Forget about it. And they pay tuition and this, and nobody understands. And this is one of the secrets that no one has the answer. It's against the law of nature. But in the end, it happens. And these people are very wealthy when it comes to Torah and mitzvot. So I think we cover O'Shaan, and all the secrets from all directions. To the best of my knowledge, there's not even one extra word or sentence to say about this that I didn't say. Yeah, if you have any more questions, we still have time, because we have to start praying in about 20 minutes. Mikve, Mikve. I spoke more... about mikveh. You were not here. I spoke about it. No, what? what do you, any questions? havit, Havid velo It's minhag neviim, yes. What? What's the question? No, any question? Now it's the opportunity. Maybe a few words about Simchat Torah. Shh. Maybe Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah, in Israel and in America, is a little bit different arrangement. In Israel, the holiday, it's 7 days Sukkot, and the eight days is called Shmini Atzeret. It's a holiday by itself. In the time of Bet HaMikdash, they used to sacrifice 70 cows. 13 in the first day, 12 in the second, 11 in the third, 10, 9, 8 until the last day, which is O'Sha'an the eighth day, they used to sacrifice only one cow. The last cow out of 70 was the cow of the Jewish nation. 69, all of them were, all for the goyim. The Gemara said the goyim destroyed the temple, and they don't know what they destroyed. If they only knew how much they lose by not having temple in the world, they'll never dare to touch the temple. Not only they won't touch it, They put guards all around it. Now, no other Gentile will dare to touch the temple. But they didn't know. And they destroyed it. And they lose a lot for not having the temple. But Shmini Atzeret is a separate Yom Tov. Even though it's attached to Sukkot. The reason Hashem made it attached to Sukkot, not to bother the Jews to go back to their homes and come back again to the temple for another Yom Tov. Hashem already did it once between Pesach and Shavuot. Pesach, everyone came to Jerusalem. They went back home and then they had to come back again for Shavuot. Very difficult, seven weeks. Again, it takes sometimes more than a week to come with your horse and your donkey. And you have to bring your children. And you have to bring your children. And it's very difficult. It's not like today you're going to your Mercedes and half an hour later you're in Jerusalem. Different world. People had to walk, and it rained. It wasn't easy. And there was no roads, no lights, no neon lights. You have to go in between the trees, snakes, scorpions, many problems. Hashem had mercy. In Shavuot, he had no choice. Because Pesach is the time of the Exodus. It has to be in the spring. And Shavuot has to be exactly in the time when they received the Torah seven weeks later. So that's why it has to stay in the original date. But Sukkot... Rosh Hashem chose the date It's not a memorial date Like Pesach and Shavuot Pesach and Shavuot is memorial Rosh Hashanah is memorial Is Adam's birthday Yom Kippur is memorial Is the time Moshe Rabbeinu came down In the third period after 120 days The last 40 days was day of repentance Because Hashem told him I forgave I forgave the sin Of the golden calf today That's why it becomes a day of repentance forever so all these events are memorial, but Sukkot is not memorials, because the date should have been in Pesach. should have been eating matzah inside the sukkah in Pesach. But Hashem made it. Why he made it right after Rosh Hashanah and Kippur? Because coming out of the trial and going right away to the exile, leave your $10 million house and going to a $500 sukkah rain on you, wind, cold, hot, bugs, you know, I don't have to tell you, wind, the pictures are falling, all kinds of problems. It's not so comfortable. So because of that, it's, it's a repentance of an exile. The exile repent a lot of our sins. So Hashem attached Sukkot to us. Shemini Every holiday ends with Atseret. For instance, Pesach ends with Shavuot. Shavuot also called Atseret in Agmara. And Sukkot finishes with Atseret. But the Atseret of Sukkot, Hashem did us a chesed. He attached it to Sukkot because we are already in Yerushalayim. Just stay for one more holiday. But this is a separate holiday. In Atfilah we don't say Yom Hagat Sukkot, as we say Shmini Hagat Sered. When in Israel, Shmini it's one day because it's not exile. All the holidays besides Rosh Hashanah in Israel are one day. So the eight day of Sukkot is also Simchat Torah. But here in America, it's not the same. Simchat Torah is in the nine day, which is the second day of Shmini Atzeret. So the nine days, which in our case will be Friday from Thursday night, Simchat Torah starts officially Thursday night, which is also Shmini Now, when we pray in a Sidur, we don't say, "Be'Yom Simcha Simchat Torah. No. Simchat Torah is not a holiday from the Torah. It's only a custom that the rabbi made a few hundred years ago as an honor for the Torah. But the original holiday from the Torah is Shmini It's a Yom Tov. A person who violates it is like violating Shabbat. But on top of it, we attach Simchat Torah. That's why in Israel, since it's only Shemini HaTzeret one day, as soon as it's over, all the people go on the street with cars, with orchestra, bands, speakers. They dance on the street with music. When they dance over there, actually here it's still Yom Tov. Over here it's still holiday. So now there are different kinds of minhagim, it's kind of confusing if we sit in a Sukkah or no. Because remember, in a Sukkah, we have to be eight days in America. In Israel, seven days. The eight days already, new holiday, Shmini no more Sukkah. But over here, since it's also a continuation of Sukkot, the first day of Shmini is Sukkot and Shmini maybe this, maybe that. And the ninth day is Shmini and Simchat Torah. So the conclusion is like this. Do we sit in a sukkah? Yes. Do we make a bracha? No. Whenever there is a doubt, we don't make a blessing. You came out of the bathroom, you're not sure, did I say bracha? No. You're not sure. 90% you didn't say. 10% you say. 1% that you say, 99% you didn't say. So you want to repeat. Not allowed. Any kind of a doubt, you don't say the name of God for no reason. Maybe you did. In the Amida, in the Rosh Hashanah, you forget how Melech HaKalosh, go all the way back even you have No, Melech HaKalosh is a different story. First but of all, the, the HaLevata, like, all the no, no. Let me explain to you. First of all, not always you go back. Depend oh, if you I mean, Shliach Tzibur I'm, or not. I'm no, no. So let me explain to you something. The whole concept of Rosh Hashanah, the whole concept that Hashem told us Imru Rulef and you have to say king, words of kingdom. Make me the king. Make me the king. The entire Rosh Hashanah is about kingdom. If a person didn't say or have a doubt if he say or not, the importance of making the entire days of, of the king is more than the doubt if we say or not say. But the reason that we, we repeat it, because we go by certainty. A person usually repeats what he's used to saying in the last 90 days. If a person said 90 times Amelech HaKadosh, without praying, without praying, today started aseret Today it's Rosh Hashanah, I sit in my living room and I say, Amelech HaKadosh, Amelech HaKadosh, Amelech HaKadosh, Amelech HaKadosh, 90 times in my subconscious is already recorded which means it's three months, it's like chazakath. I mean, one month, three times a day, it's 90 times. One month is already kviut. If you say for one month, three times a day, amelech HaKadosh, it's, or- it's already in you. in you. But we don't say a month, we only say for one week. So the way you say it, you say it straight 90 times, it's already recorded. Now, if you have a doubt, you say, no, I say amelech HaKadosh. Maybe you say "Ael Kadosh. I already said 90 times Amelacha Kadosh. For sure, I said already in Now, why we repeat it? Because for sure we say Kadosh because this is what we used to. If you don't remember if you say or not, we know for sure you said Kadosh because you say it all your life. However, let me clarify one more thing here. If you Shliach Tzibur and they already say Kdusha, everyone say Kdusha. And then you go to the end and you say, Ha'el Kadosh, and they try to correct you. You have three seconds, actually less, two seconds to correct yourself. What's the period of time you can correct yourself without going back to the beginning? Shalom Alecha Rabbi, two seconds. This is the amount of time that it takes. Shalom Alecha Rabbi. the Gemara gives an example. So if a person says, Ha'el Kadosh, and everyone screams, HaMelech, Amelech. And he get confused, huh? ha, Ha ha Up. Two seconds are gone. He has to go back, but to where? To where? According to most opinions, not to the beginning, since everyone answered kedusha. He only go back to Atta Kadosh. because the kedusha cuts. before the kedusha. The three first brachot are considered one. That's why he go to the beginning. The first three brachot: Magen Avram, Mechaya Ametim, VeAila Kadosh. It's one huge praise to Hashem. It's all one unit. You made a mistake, you go back to the beginning. Once the Kedusha came after the it cut the two from the one. You only repeat the third one because you don't say two brachot on the first two. But if you whisper there is no Kedusha, you have to go back and repeat it again. But, like, just to clarify about Simchat Torah Simchat Torah is an opportunity for a Jew to show Hashem how much he really loves the Torah. If somebody brought you something that you dreamed about it all your life, you would show a lot of excitement to it. If somebody gets you a book, sometimes you bring a book to someone, oh nice, looks at that two minutes, put it on the shelf, you come five years later, you see two inches of dust on it. You open it, you hear, never opened it once. That's if you're lucky. Most of the time he gives it to someone's birthday party. That's why if you want to avoid it, write him a nice Akedashah in the beginning. To Mr. X, may you live long life. At least you protect that action. Sticker. ah, Sticker, fine. Okay. Uh, uh, Sometimes it's better to do it on a few pages because some wise guy cut the first page nicely. So put in a few of them. Akedashah, like this, you know, he's stuck with your book forever. But, but... (laughs) The idea is, if a person from the minute you gave it to him doesn't stop talking about it, like David HaMelech, what does he say? Ma toratecha kol Hashem. David HaMelech is not a lot, a little bit smarter than all of us combined. Okay? It's a lot more, but I'm being modest here. And he comes to speak to Hashem. He you knows you cannot fool Hashem. We sometimes forget. We pretend we eat Sadikim. We try to fool Hashem. In the end, Hashem would show us this and we'll feel very stupid. But David Amelech, no, I'm speaking to Hashem. I cannot even make a drop of a lie. And now he comes to Hashem. Hashem, I have a declaration to make. I'm crazy about your Torah. All day, this is all I'm talking about. Did you have a slice of a doubt that maybe it's not the truth? Of course not. (laughs) If he declared it to us, imagine I come to Hashem, Hashem, you know I'm the biggest Baal Tzedakah in the world. (laughs) Another five years in hell just for that, (laughs) for this chutzpah. Nobody will do such a thing. A murderer doesn't come to Hashem, you know, my hands are clean. A thief doesn't come to Hashem, you know how honest I am. We know our limitation, right? So David HaMelech came and screamed, I'm in love with your Torah. I can't live a minute without it. All day I'm talking about it. So Hazal say, what what is the meaning of this verse? From here you learn. How do you know what's the most important thing in the life of a person? what comes out of his mouth most frequently. Of course, every Jew speaks about Torah here and there. Some speak about it every hour, some speak about it every month, some speak about it in the Bar Mitzvah. And that's it. But everyone speaks some Torah here and there. Sometimes they have no choice. Somebody surprises them, Mr. X, maybe you say Dvar Torah. Yes, (laughs) Maim (laughs) achronim chova. It's also Dvar Torah. You know? (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one one Ashkenazi came to the Sfaradim. He said, "How come every time someone say two two seconds dvar Torah, right away everyone got Rabbi Hananiah ben Omer and everyone say kaddish al Israel. What is going on?" He said, "What you say now is dvar Torah or no?" He said, "I'm asking you a question in, in alacha." Yeah, he said, "Rabbi ben Omer, everyone rise kaddish." <laughs> so, so David Ameir said to because I love your Torah so much, this is all I'm talking about. Not only that I talk about it a lot. Not only about this I talk. Someone who really loves Hashem, do you think he ever's gonna dare to talk about real estate? Do you know? I have a cousin like this. You try to talk to him about any subject in the world, you never hear a word. Right away, he goes like this with his hands. Kalamfadi, nonsense. Save me from this nonsense, from this torture, sport, politics. Ask him the Prime Minister, he doesn't know. Ask him any minister, anyone in the politics, he doesn't know who the President of Israel. He once said to a student, you all tie your ties very nice. I wonder where did you have the 10 minutes to learn how to make a knot? Someone who loved the Torah wastes ten minutes about his nonsense. He never went to the bank to make deposits since he's 20 years old. I know Rav Yaakov Stefanski, big tzaddik, he's now in Israel. I used to, I, Hashem gave me a, a gift to be close with this tzaddik. All day with small tefillin, four o'clock in the shul, uh, prayers like, like the David HaMelech of the generation. Speak Chacham is a very important tzaddik. His wife passed away in Muncie. A thousand people were screaming with tears men, women, children. Her funeral is something that nobody can ever forget. And then after that, on those days, I used to have a little money. So he came to me for help. He said, Can you lend me $2,000? I said, Sure. What's the problem, Rabbi? He said, I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> All the years since I got married, more than 30 years, I never ever wrote a check in my whole life. For the last 30 years, I did not enter any store. I was up in the attic in my house. My wife was the Menahelet of Bet Yaakov. She was in charge of Bet Yaakov Girls for School. She made a salary. She supported the family. She raised the children. And she told me, Yaakov, don't come down, everything is under control. Say so five years besides bathroom, I didn't come out. I, came, I didn't come down. For five years I learned around the clock non-stop. I didn't come out of the room. Just besides bathroom, I didn't come out of the house. Nothing. I didn't see people. Only learning Torah. Twenty-five years I asked her, You're doing okay? Only when I came down from the attic, I saw that we have tons of bills, she owes here, she owes there, she's struggling to pay. When I sat next to her bed, she's dying any moment, she said to me, you're not ashamed, what are you doing here, wasting your time? Go back to the, to the books. I said, it's my obligation. She said, no, no, you know, you and I know that it's one help that's sitting here. Go back to learn. This was the kind of wife he had. And he told me like this. He told me, now i my loan." Now I have to write bills. I have all these bills coming. I don't know what I owe or what not. I don't know anything. I tell you, I never went to shop, nothing. I don't know. I've never been in a store. Right the way, I need $2,000 until I see what I'm going to do. No, do you know a person? Believe me, if I didn't have what to eat, I would get him the 2000 I give him the check and run collect to cover it. Can you say no to someone like this? This is the kind of people I never hear a word from him besides Torah with such desire, such closeness to Hashem. Such closeness to Hashem is hard to believe such thing. Hard to believe, 4 o'clock. I look at my cousin, 4 o'clock, cold the freezing, winter, summer, doesn't matter. All day, tefillin, katan, two of them. All day with a student in a room. All day, Torah, Zohar. Hard to believe. He wrote a book. I show it to a few rabbis. Their their eyes almost came out saying, "How, how can it be such a thing? In the highest level of Kabbalah, every word in Kitveh Ari knows by heart. Every book of the Ramchal he knows by heart. You know what it is? And the Kabbalah of the Ari, the Kabbalah of the Ramchal. I know one Persian guy in Monsi, 14 years, his wife and him were struggling to have kids. Nothing. They can't have kids. Trying this, trying that. I told him, listen, you go to Israel, you go to him. Why do you have to lose? Anyway, in Yerushalayim. I'll send you to his place. But don't be surprised. He's going to pretend he's nothing. He's going to tell you, why do you come to me? It's a part of the cover up. Make sure he gives you bracha. Two months later, his wife was pregnant. If it's because of that, Hashem knows. I don't know. But 14 years, they did everything. It didn't help. Two months later, she was pregnant. Two or three months later. This is the kind of people we are talking about. Even when this, you know what? no matter any kind of second, two o'clock at night when he's trying to fall asleep, all the time what we learn today, this is how Rav Ben Abba Shaul was. Rav Ben Abba Shaul, his eyes didn't rest for a second. For people who saw him, his eyes were always left and right, up and down, left and right. Why? He never stopped thinking about Torah, walking on the street, in a house, talking to people. All the time he's thinking about Torah. And for those who came late, I will finish with the story I told you before, because we have to start praying in five minutes. (laughs) When Rav Yudat Rosh Yeshivat Porat Yosef, this story were to repeat it 5,000 times a day, for the whole world to know how far we are from Hashem, from the truth. So the disappointment that we have in the heart, that we didn't even reach 1% of our friends, and cousins, and rabbis, and whatever, the few that we have in this generation, maybe will make us do 5% more. That's already a big achievement. 5% more. If, you don't, if you're not jealous with somebody holy, you'll never be. You can only be if you're close to somebody holy like this around the clock. If you learn a lot, but you don't, you're not attached to somebody like this, it's not as good as you learn less, but you attach to a person. Every step of his life is Torah. Every thought, every word comes out of his mouth. My cousin was attached to Rav Ben Zion, Abba Shaul, 14 years. He was waking, up in, waking him up in the morning. They dove in shachrit together. They learned a few hours. He, he told him, do you give me permission to write a diary about you? He said to you, yes. He used to... All the time, like obsessive, follow him, follow him to places, to, to gansaker, to see what he does. Every little thing. I saw three or four pages from the diary. I, for months, I couldn't forget. about Rav Ben Abba Shaul, we, we think another big tzaddik was in the world. We have no idea who this person was. He said that after 10 years, one person came with a bunch of pages like this. Rabbi, we want to print a book in your name. This is all the shiurim we learned by you in the yeshiva porat yosef. I want you to give me permission to publish it. So he said to him, read, I don't have my glasses with me. And my cousin was in the room and he said to me, I never believed such a thing. The person said three words. He started to read pages like this. More than a million words over there. The person After 10 years, the person said three words. He said, it's not mine. Three words. It's not mine. It's not mine. I didn't say this. Right away. One time a woman came. She has a life and death surgery. Life and death. All the doctors tell her to do surgery or not to do. She comes to him, Rabbi, whatever you say I do, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I can die in this surgery. He put his head down five minutes. Five minutes, the head on the table. Then he pick up his head. Marash, like angel of Hashem. He said, do the surgery and everything will be fine. And then she went out. She was very happy. It's like she, she felt like she spoke to Hashem. She went out. She was very happy. She got a lot of confidence. And my cousin asked him, Rabbi, I'm asking you, you're answering a question of life and death by Ruach HaKodesh? What was it? I want to know. If you have a prophecy, Ruach HaKodesh, fine. But otherwise, how can you, I mean, I want to learn. He said, v'shalom, Ruach HaKodesh. Dvarim betelim, it's nonsense. I went over all the shas, all the gemara, all the rishonim, everyone who spoke about this issue, and I debated all the possibilities, and this is a psaq This is the opinion of the Torah. That she, she, she did it, and she got saved. This is a, <laughs> like, a, like we have no idea what we're talking here about. And he got on a bus. And the driver didn't know who he is. And he said, excuse me, buddy. Because he looked like a buddy. He made himself look like a, a guy who has a vegetable boot. You know how they are, how they look? Sweater, this little normal hat, nothing. Nobody knows who he is. He gets on the bus. Do you know the, the chief rabbi on the world sit on a bus? Him and Rabbi Vol be set on a bus. Today, the rabbi all have chauffeurs with a hundred thousand dollar car and private jet some, taking them here, taking them there. It's a different generation today. You know, he, sit, he gets on a bus, sit on the bus. Ahmed sit next to him, no problem, he has no problem. The guy throw him a towel, buddy, can you clean the mirror for me? The buses in Israel use a mirror like this. Can you clean the mirror for him? He was standing, hanging on the mirror, and cleaned the mirror, the most important person in the world. And everybody in the bus cares the driver. You're normal. Torah. Rabbi, forgive me. I didn't know. How do I, am I supposed to know? I never knew who you are. But the point is that he didn't have a problem cleaning this. Everybody else would be so insulted in his heart. He has to pretend he's humble. Anyway, anyway, if they come to you and say, clean the, you, you have $500 million. Let's say you had to go on a bus, for whatever reason. And nobody knows who you are. And he threw you the towel, clean the thing. You're embarrassed. You have to pretend you're humble. So you clean, but inside your heart, he would kill you. But he didn't have a problem. He cleaned it. And he told the people, why, why, what do you want from him? What did he ask? Chesed, ma, I cleaned this mirror. You understand? And I started to tell you the story about Rav Zadka. A hundred percent, he had ruach kodesh. hundred percent. Raviyuda Zadka, when he passed away, they came to his chevruta and say, Rabbi, you learned with him for 30 years from morning to night. Please say a eulogy in his funeral. I'm repeating this for those of you who came now. And he said, I'm very sorry. I don't know anything personal about him. So Rabbi, you saw him more than you see his wa- your wife. Third year you sit with him learning for any shiva. You, you, you don't want to say eulogy for him? It's like, God forbid, of course I want to say. I just don't know what to say about him. We never spoke ever about any personal subject from the day we started to learn until he passed away. For 30 years, when we started to learn, we made a rule: no dvarim betelim. We opened the Gemara, only Gemara, only books, nothing else. No news, prime minister, election, nothing. So I don't know anything about him. Don't know how many kids he have, who they are, what. Nothing. I don't know anything about him. 30 years. We speak. We sit 30 minutes to learn, 29 minutes nonsense. Where the cook is from? What bakery? No, over there is cheaper. Amar Rabbi Akiva, you know, my wife, she said to wake her up. I forgot. Give me two minutes. Call up. Uh, are you up? OK. Come back, Abaye. Where were we? Abaye, Chag Sukkot, this, that. Oh, next thing. Wait, wait one second. I'm tired. You go, mix coffee, then cigarette, and, and then Rabbi Hananiya Ben That's את ישראל, אפיכך ירבה להם תורה המצוות שנאמר, אדוני חפץ למען, צדקו יגדיל, תורה ויעדיר.